Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to be talking about principles of progressive overload. We've got three primary forms of progressive overload we can use. We can use an intensity-based strategy, which is simply just increasing the weight from one week to the next, as well as potentially utilizing a strategy of increasing the velocity. We have a volume-based strategy, which we can increase repetitions, or we can utilize a strategy for sets. The final one is density. Two directions, either the compression or it's going to be escalating. Both strategies have their merit. We just need to talk about when, why, where, what, and how to be able to implement that. This is a foundational module for every strength conditioning coach. What we're going to talk about is how this differentiates us from our counterparts. Huge piece of the puzzle from being a great strength coach. This is a really important module. If you want to learn more about this module as well as seize all of the, of the graphics and all of the other things that we have for all of our members, head over to phpodcast.com to become a member of the PH curriculum. You get access to over 50 modules broken up into coaching, nutrition, movement, training, as well as access to our debates and lectures. And we'll be coming out with web shows here soon. Finally, a really high level forum with all of our users being active on phpodcast.com, advanced education for strength coaches and trainers. Let's get it. Man, we're on progressive overload. I feel like it's been a huge, huge, huge timeline to get to this module because this one for me is probably the most important thing that we do, in my opinion. When I look at all the principles, they're all really important and we all have to adhere to them. But the reality of the situation is when we look at what we're doing, we're simply trying to take someone net closer to something that they can't do without us. And the best way to do that is to look at that at a very small incremental change over a long period of time. Um, Charles Poliquin used to refer to this as the Kaizen method. You know, and as we start to progress from one week to the next, it's the idea of mastery is not done within one session or one really challenging day. It's built over a multitude of training inputs that manifest into something, again, better than what they could accomplish without without us. So the, the general idea for progressive overload is being strategic with not only trying to progress from one week to the next in some way, shape, or form from allocating just a little bit more stress, because that's the bottom line right here, right? We talked about this all the way through. We talked about this with several other modules like duality and even variability to a degree that everything has this kind of web of coherence when we're talking about modules, that they're all kind of interconnected in some way, shape or form. But on the other end, when we're really trying to break down manifesting into something great, it's going to go into how are we going to systematically add more stress? And yes, our ability to adapt to that stress is predicated off of our functioning of all of our systems and the environment and all the other things. But bottom line, this is it. This is the foundation of what we are from a strength conditioning perspective. It's also the thing that makes us different and unique. That the pragmatism that we approach with training is just flat out superior to anyone else trying to touch upon the domain of what we're doing. So you might see 
sports medicine kind of dabble within strength conditioning and you might see them kind of touch the surface off of trying to train people and the reality of the situation is they always seem to come up short and they can say whatever they want about it but the truth is is simply put that they don't have the same mindset when it comes down to working with humans in regards to performance because their idea of progression is getting them out of pain and our idea of progression is getting them towards high performance outlets and it's all routed in the same physiology that we are trying to move net closer or net further away from something but the reality is that small semantic detail about towards or away makes all the difference makes all the difference so if you're listening to this and you're a strength conditioning coach you know that this is where you really hang your hat if you're in sports medicine and you look at it from i really want to understand strength conditioning this is where you start this is where you become a different version of yourself and one of the big notes that is kind of a really poorly kept secret, and I'm going to kind of unveil the, the differentiating quality is you got to take off this hat of practitioner and put on this hat of facilitator. And the difference meaning is practitioners always looking at someone under the guise that this is going to hurt or they're in pain, or we got to avoid a lot of things where the facilitator is really looking at this from, I got to get them to point B. The good facilitators understand consequence and understand risk reward and understand that there's always a countermeasure and what we've been talking about for all the other modules. And that's what a good strength conditioning coach is. They're great facilitators. So as we look at the progressions from one week to the next, from one block to the next, you know, the general idea is to have some sort of small incremental increase of 1% to 2%. That's the whole premise of the Kaizen Method. So a great program that can increase one week to the next over a long period of time will have a huge outlet. will have a huge, huge uptick in performance, relatively speaking, to when we started. Traditionally, we look at the first form of progression is usually intensity. This is the time-tested, proven one that most people understand and readily can apply. That I can send a program out to someone remotely and they can adapt to that program relatively well from just simply understanding it a little bit better. Right? And that's a great litmus. It's if you were not there, is it intuitive enough, intuitive enough to your clients and athletes that they can apply this simple means of progressing from one week to the next. That in itself is the ultimate indicator of whether it'll be successful or not. Because we're going to go into the weeds on this. We're going to go into different types of progression and how we can layer these progressions. But the truth is, if you could just simply say, we're going to do this set, rep, tempo, rest scheme at these exercises, and you're just going to make a five kilo jump every week for the next four to eight weeks. That'll be something that they understand readily. And chances are they're going to be really successful with it, with that. It's the, in the truest sense, reaching some sort of performance vector. 
of that exercise. This goes into a whole other conversation about what is the actual true outlet we talked about extensively in terms of progressions and specificity and this idea of dynamic correspondence and truth be told is simply just getting really good at one exercise isn't really trained, isn't really pre preparing. All it is is just trying to get as much out of that exercise as we possibly can that is hopefully correlated more so than other exercises to performance. But the reality of the situation is that that's just a small drop in the bucket to the overall preparedness of the athlete. But traditionally, we're trying to increase the weight for that and try to create some sort of vector of improvement with that exercise. And then hopefully that peaks and hopefully we can have the correspondence from that exercise towards something different, like running faster or jumping higher, or throwing something further or faster. And that's the, the bottom line when we're looking at training. It's are we actually getting something from the exercises and the way we progress those exercises, relatively speaking, to something different? And as we start to break down the future of training and performance, and we start to look at, you know, what is the, what is the ultimate indicator of good and strength, good strength and conditioning? Honestly, this is hard to actually really argue. This is still the foundation and still be the most important thing. One of the things I always talk about with my coaches is how should I evaluate you? You know, do they listen to you or do they execute on the tasks they have? Do they respect you or do they show up on time? I don't want to do, can you make them better? And if I look at it from, if you've got eight weeks with an athlete and they start and they end and the end is no different than when they started, we've got to go right back to what they did in between. Are we occupying space and time? Are we confusing activity with accomplishment or are we actually making people better? And what defines better? Is it more aggregate measures like running and jumping or is it more directly performance with certain exercises, right? And then how was that performance improved? Was it actually improved by increasing the one, the, ten, the tensile strength of the tissues associated with it or the, the nervous system that facilitates that? Or was it, I got to amend and compromise my movement integrity to accomplish the task? So gradually over time, my range of motions reduced, my position shifted so I have a better center of mass, I have more mechanical advantage. I start to use momentum and then bam, all of a sudden, I don't really have the same output that I wanted from those exercises. And this is the classic case for a lot of concepts that just overdo intensity or volume or density. Truth is, is that they're gonna find a way to accomplish a task. The reality of the situation is that might not necessarily be what we were looking for from an execution standpoint and not have the same transference to what we wanted in the first place. So it's best to understand that if we didn't get better from a more aggregate measurement and we look at the progression from one week to the next and we did make some sort of increase, but it came at the expense of the technical aspect, then we have to go back to that. But are you making people better is a really good question. But a small increase from one week to the next in terms of intensity is pretty easy to understand, pretty intuitive, and you're gonna have a lot of success with that. 
traditionally works really well with blocks like intensification that are going to go from one week to the next trying to peak in terms of overall intensity hence the name intensification stress through intensity over volume or stress through trying to create volume-based adaptations like muscular endurance or hypertrophy and i think that's something that's important and i think that's something that we really probably should use in terms of majority of the time right when we look at a pie chart distribution of the progressive overload means that we could do probably going to look at intensity as the primary one more so than others now on the other end we can start to look at different forms of intensity right we can look at intensity could manifest in the form of adding more weight or it could be moving something faster and this one becomes a little bit more of a gray area ish um, we, we really can't say definitively that we are absolutely making more direct linear progression from a technical aspect by improving the speed of something. It's a really nice thought, but it's hard to kind of control that input. And speed will come in a lot of different vari- a lot of different forms. But the reality of the situation is I reserve power speed for more the aggregate type of measurement at the end where we're looking at, did I jump fast, jump higher or run faster? Uh, But you can use bar speed and you can look at, Hey, uh, this week I'm going to stay at the same intensity, but the, the goal is to try to move it faster. Right? So if I do five sets of one with a X, 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 X tempo, and I try to improve speed, then I could say, okay, now week one to week two, I went from 0.47 to 0.45 meters per second. And then week two to week three, I went from 0.45 to 0.43. And then week three, week four, I went up down to 0.41. That would be an intensity-based progression. But I reserve the fact that it might look a little bit wonky when it comes down to, honestly, what we're really hoping for from a a execution standpoint. I don't know necessarily that's what ideally is going to happen the way we want it to be. Now, on the other note, that intensity-based progression is not always a perfect fit. And we know that, specifically with relative strength exercises. That if we were going to try to make an improvement on a, say, pull-up or a dip, that it would go into this, wow, that someone could do one dip trying to ask them to do two would be a hundred percent improvement. And we just talked about before, we want about a one to 2% improvement each week. So we're asking 99% more than what we would ask if we were doing a traditional intensity-based progression. And this recreates some sort of, some sort of continuum of, there is an element of, if the person has the ability to move their body through push-ups, dips, pull-ups, etc., that the idea of a volume-based progression comes lessened. If they can add external load through like a weighted belt, I can make these more intensity-based changes week to week with these body weight-oriented exercises. And that goes into the next level of volume isn't exclusive to repetitions. 
volume is time under tension. Because that's really the whole point of volume. Volume is irrelevant if time isn't a construct that we're evaluating. It's relative to how long it took us to complete the set, not how many reps it took us to complete the set. If you want to learn more about that, I got in a really good debate about that with Pat Davidson, where we have that featured on our debates lecture. But the truth is, it comes down to work. And the point was, if I run 100 yards and I take more steps, it doesn't matter because ultimately I'm going the same distance. Now, on the other end, if I want to increase the actual volume, then I got to go to 110 yards. That's the same thing with a set. I'm going to do four sets of 10, which is a traditional hypertrophy block. I can knock that out in 20 seconds per set. That's probably going to be more in line with the relative intent, relative strength type of time under tension as opposed to looking at something like a functional hypertrophy or hypertrophy type of continuum, which is important because truth is, is when we break down what the ultimate point of a set is, is try to manifest into one of those outputs, whether it's relative strength under 20 seconds, functional hypertrophy 20 to 40, or whether it's functional or hypertrophy 40 to 70. If I'm not within that, that time, time continuum, I'm not gonna necessarily get what I thought I wanted. I'm not gonna get hypertrophy to the degree that I should with a set under 20 seconds. It's just not enough stress. It's not enough tension, it's not, enough, it's not gonna create enough metabolic output, right? We're not gonna create hydrogen ions. We're not gonna start to expel calcium and fatigue the sarcoplasm reticulum. We're not gonna get necessarily the, the downstream effects of lactate dehydrogenase converting converting pyruvate into lactate because we simply do not have enough buffering capacity at the hydrogen ion. We're not TCA cycle stops functioning. I'm humble brag here, but I know a lot about cellular physiology. And I know that if we don't accomplish a certain amount of time within that, within that rep scheme, it's simply not going to manifest into ultimately what we want. So we need to have some sort of time variable here. And that's something that will help in terms of volume-based progressions because if I have to make a 100% improvement from one week to the next, truth be told, asking someone to go one rep of a barbell inverted row to two might be impossible. Asking someone to go from five to 10 reps on pull-ups in a four-week span, not probably not feasible. And this is where the ultimate time under tension really comes in. This was also to understanding the difference between contraction types. Please go back to our module we did on contraction types, specifically the interview we did with Alan Bishop. Because if we listen to that, we know that we're stronger eccentrically than we are concentrically. And concentrically is gonna be the biggest rate limiting step for anything that we do. So if we wanna improve our ability to do body weight exercises, we need to use time under tension as a component, but we also need to understand that eccentrically, we're going to have a little bit more availability to performance than we would if we were going to do something concentrically. That any repetition is going to be limited by what I can overcome. So we increase time under tension 
through maybe potentially isometric, which is also going to be stronger than concentric or eccentric or concentric or eccentric uh, loading, right? So maybe I use a four or five one oh five oh one oh tempo. Maybe I use a two three one oh tempo, and that will increase that time under tension, aka volume, relatively speaking, than trying to do a a two oh exo tempo. And each week, maybe I add more of the time variable to that eccentric or that isometric, relatively speaking, to trying to increase a repetition. The volume is something as we start to look at from one week to the next, it's going to be more for along the lines of a body weight oriented exercise, traditionally. But on the other end, it goes into this dynamic of maybe, just maybe, it might be better adjusting time variable. And there's a secondary situation where we might use that for something along the lines of in season where people have confidence issues and throwing a really heavy weight on there is a problem, putting a weight that they feel more comfortable with and then them trying to accomplish more volume from one week to the next at that weight that they feel comfortable and safe with, you would be shocked on how much performance improvement you can get by just simply changing the parameters and trying to increase some sort of progression that they feel better about. The final option would be density. And when we're looking at density, you know, really honestly trying to understand, as I start to progress from one week to the next, can I get, can I get a volume increase? Um, or can I get, can I get a reduced time in variable, right? So density comes in a compression or expansion type format. Compression meaning that I do the same work in less time. Expanding would be I'm doing more work in the same time. A lot of times people screw that up and try to do simultaneously both, but that's bad. That's really bad because that's gonna lead into, again, technical, technical outputs being compromised or inputs being compromised. As I start to break down one progression in the next, density-based strategies are the, probably the one that we really need to be most conscious of from a technical standpoint. Just like we were talking about with velocity and, and intensity-based progressions, the general idea is how do we preserve technique to get hopefully some sort of control or constraint on the, the input to really assess the quality of the inter intervention from the output perspective. I mean, that is the game here. That's something as I start to break down Really, how do we get people better? That final most important rung of what strength conditioning is, is how do we assess the quality of the intervention? And if technique goes to sh really to shit, your intervention sucks. It does, it has to, because I don't know what that does. I don't know what that's accomplishing, and that's something that we have to come back to. We gotta improve technique. It doesn't matter if you had the sound fundamental thought on periodizing your plan. It it's what matters is your ability to execute basic level movement competency. And if you can't, we got to at least figure out one, was it the right progression from one block to the next? Two, are you good at coaching? And then three, honestly, like, is your programming from a mesocycle perspective, progressive overload, well thought out? And if there's only one very, one way to make it through a block by completely evolving your technique to meet, meet the standard, you program shit, it really is. But a compression strategy would be, let's look at maybe a time variable constraint where we're gonna say, we're gonna do this amount of work. So 
uh, a circuit, maybe like a 10 reps of something, 10 reps of another thing, 50 yards of another thing, right? So we're gonna do, uh, try to accomplish 100 squats, 100 pull-ups and a mile. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anyone, but let's just say that's, that's, uh, that's the plan. We do it one week, it take us, I don't know, 20 minutes. A progression off of that would be, we'll try to do that 19 and a half next time. Now the issue would be is maybe I just set the, the parameters at an unrealistic out level. So maybe it should be 10 pull-ups and maybe it should be a different type of squat or a different exercise in a squat, something that is pretty governor-based. It's what I call can't screw up exercises. Do things that it's pretty hard to, to screw up. So maybe pushing a sled instead of squatting, you know, just something along that line. But that would be a compression strategy. An escalating strategy or a expanding strategy would be something like we're gonna go 20 minutes and we're gonna choose two exercises let's say a front squat and a, um, a pull-up. And we're gonna do sets of three to five or four to five. And you're gonna to try to accrue as much volume as possible. And one week you get through six rounds, the next week you get through seven. The key behind these density strategies is they're trying to give whatever it is the metabolic input, but auto-regulating it through whatever their readiness or their fitness levels are on that given day, week, or part of the year, right? So the beautiful thing about density-based strategies is you got what you got, and if you don't have it, you're not gonna be able to do it. So if we have standards of movement, if we have some sort of controls, and they're just simply not there physiologically, it will auto-regulate itself and slow it down. And there's three ways, and we're gonna talk about this with our diminishing returns critical drop-off module is, there's really three ways to determine if something's no longer effective. And it's either I lost the range of motion, you should either make a decision, there's three, out, there's three decisions you have to make too after you figure, find out your three inputs, it's hopefully convenient that way. I lost my range of motion, I lost my position at that range of motion, sometimes referred to as control, right? So for instance, let's just, I'll, I'll put an example here at the end. And then the final one would be, I am no longer meeting the objective of that set, whether it was bar speed, hitting the rep, or hitting the rep at that intensity, right? So let's just go through a back squat. We want to go hamstring down to calf. All of a sudden they start to go to a half squat, Okay, that would be a range of motion loss. We want a vertical torso. All of a sudden they start to drop their chest. That would be a position loss. We want to hit five sets of three at 100 kilos at 0.4 meters per second. Drops down to 0.27, that would be velocity loss. They can't hit 100 kilos for the, the only two reps. That would be a repetition loss. They can't do that intensity, that would be an intensity loss. And you just keep teetering away from it. And on the output is, okay, I need more rest. I need to lower the weight or I need to stop altogether. And that's where density-based strategies come in. It's not lowering the weight, it's just getting more rest or just stopping. And your, den and your density will organically change. 
right? Those are the beautiful things about auto-regulatory practices is that it's decided for you. Can you keep your technical standards, yes or no? Yes, hopefully, then you have better controls over whether your progressive overload is going to be effective or not. And that's why it's so important that you have this incredible structure to your programming and standards of movement and what is good is what is bad and what is et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't have these quality controls into your programming, these progressive overloads really become obsolete. Before I break, we have one more that I didn't mention within the volume and there's a reason behind that. So we talked about increasing repetitions or time retention from one week to the next. The final one is increasing sets from one week to the next. So if I was going to say back to our pie chart distribution, increasing our sets is probably going to be the smallest number of progressive overload strategies that we do in a given week or a given one week to week progression. It's so intense on the system because the truth is that's going to have the biggest net impact on your tonnage. When you think about increasing intensity from one week to the next, so I do 100 kilos week one, 105 the next week, not much of a tonnage impact. If I was going to increase a repetition, I would see maybe a little bit more of a tonnage impact. When we start to get into density strategies, that's really going to be into what your system's ready to handle anyway. So maybe you undershoot week one and you get right back to, you get right to a good spot in week two. Maybe that's week two's overall tonnage might not necessarily be that impactful because that's what we probably should do week one. We're just a little conservative. But if we increase sets at threshold from one week to the next, you will see a huge tonnage spike. So systemic load increases quite a bit. And when we go from one week to the next, adding a whole set, so that 100 to 105 example versus 100 to 100 again, all of a sudden you basically get 100% improvement on tonnage, relatively speaking, if you're doing one set to two sets, or if you're going from three sets to four sets, a 25% improvement in tonnage which is kind of where we see these like impacts, right? So if I'm, I'm looking at that from the perspective of like, I'm working at threshold for those three sets of five, and then I go one more set of threshold for four sets of five. Wow, that's gonna be a big net impact on overall tonnage, which is gonna be a huge systemic load, which could be really hard to recover from. This one would be the one you probably never use, as well as you probably shouldn't use, but it's an option. And it's something that you think about, and that's about from one week to the next within a microcycle, more about when you're going from meso to meso. So if I'm going from an intensification block to a accumulation block, I'm gonna increase probably the number of reps and decrease the sets. Alternatively, if I go from an intensification to accumulation, I'm gonna increase the number of sets, but subsequently decrease the intensity. And those combinations need to be in place it's when I'm within a mesocycle, I'm going to maintain that intensity and increase the set. Then you see some really, really big things happen from a recovery standpoint. You want to see spikes in RPE. You want to see overall workloads. You want to see overall changes in terms of, of wellness and any other metric that you might be tracking. If you start to make week to week changes and sets by increasing or titrating up, it's gonna be a big net impact on overall tonnage, which is gonna be huge, huge stressor in the system. So that's gonna be something you have to be really cognizant of that sets might be the one that you wanna hold off with, especially working with novice athletes, like less is more. They can be good with anything. 
On the other end, though, you look at it from a context of being really conscientious off of we need to familiarize ourselves with systemic load and potentially net impact on things like physiology from a resting heart rate perspective, a heart rate recovery perspective, an HRV perspective, a wellness, an RPE, an average workload. These are all huge, huge, huge spikes. We need to be really careful with that. We need to be very strategic with that if we ever use it at all, right? That's that red button sitting in the in the in the war room that we need to make a big decision here. Don't press it. Don't press it. It's there. Just don't press it. All right, guys. I'm gonna stop there. Um, make sure you hit up our practical next week because this one's a just my favorite. So um, if anything, just do it for that. All right, guys. See you guys next time.